Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from the KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill, shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me, by Harvest House Publishers. Each week we read one of the essays and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's essay is The Measure of God's Love by Henry T. Blackaby, who has served as music director, education director, and pastor originally uh, in churches in California, and then was called to Canada, pastoring a tiny church in Saskatoon, Canada, that had dwindled to 10 parishioners. As that church grew back, Henry went to plant on over 30 churches in that area of Canada. He also served as the president of Canadian Baptist Theological College for seven years and president of the Canadian Southern Baptist Conference. He has provided leadership to thousands of pastors and laymen across North America and has spoken internationally in over 90 countries of the world. He has notably published many spiritual books. One of his most popular publications was Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God. That was uh, a book that sold over 7 million copies. Uh, Henry Blackaby also won the Gold Medallion Awards for the devotionals Experiencing God Together and Experiencing God Day by Day. So with that, let's read The Measure of God's Love by Henry T. Blackaby. Absolutely no words or combination of words can ever express for me what the cross means to me. Only scripture do this. The scripture that has affected me the most is Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24. Long before I did a research paper in seminary on the atonement, the meaning of the cross, and the death of Christ, I was overwhelmed by the personal search for the deepest and fullest meaning of the cross. Then came the paper, and my life was forever deeply changed and shaped. The cross revealed so much to me. The measure of God's great love, the greatness of God's salvation, the seriousness of sin, the enormous and complete victory over the power of sin, and the fullness of life now available to me and all people because of the cross and the resurrection. The meaning of the cross has affected my marriage and our family. His love has become the measure of my love. The cross has affected my entire ministry and all the relationships with people and my world. The cross revealed the measure of God's love 
and therefore in all of life, has been the constant measure of my love to all others. That concludes the essay, The Measure of God's Love, by Henry Blackaby, as written and submitted for the book, What the Cross Means to Me. The photo accompanying this essay is The Majesty. The Majesty is a name which is the inspiration behind my ministry name, Magi, as in Magi Cross, Magi Media, Magi Cards, and MagiRob.com. The latter being my nickname and my social media handle, Magi Rob. In other words, Majestic Rob. But this image is a close-up, or better stated, an up-close, wide-angle image of the cross, where the cross covers most of the frame, and behind it is a deep mix of rose and lavender cloud colors filling the background. The area around the cross is full of late summer yellow grass, as this is a pre-construction shot, meaning the cross before they broke ground on the campus that was eventually built there. Now, the theme of this week's essay is the measure of God's love. In general, the definition of measure is to discover the exact size or amount of something, or seen another way, to judge the quality, effect, importance, or value of something. In mathematics, a measure... uh, of a set is a systematic way to assign a number. In this sense, a measure is a generalization of the concepts of length, area, and volume. Now, as we discussed in episode six, the heart of God, we as frail humans, whether we use the apathetic method or simple contemplation, can conclude that we cannot adequately define what or who God is. How then could we ever assume that we could measure the length, width, or depth of God's love? Especially according to that dictionary definition of exact amount, quality of, or value of. I mean, even if we could calculate the size and dimension, how then would we be able to quantify the quality of it? How can we define the quality if we do not have any baseline, if we do not have anything to compare it to or compare it against? Moreover, how then can we appropriately define the value of God's love? If we use a construct like money, it is a futile exercise. It's a vain exercise to assign a cash approximation. Even if we use, say, gold, our ability to assign a value comes up short. Even if we could barter with all the gold found on earth, or even all the gold we could find in the universe, we would still come up short. Concepts like God, his heart, and especially his love for us is beyond our ability to comprehend or any man-made attempts to define. Therefore, we need to designate an application in and from our everyday life. So how do we? How do we measure God's love? Do we start with depth? And if so, do we get, begin with terra firma? And if so, how do we continue past the magma layer and what happens at the core of the planet? Do we keep going out the other side and out past the globe? Or do we start at the oceans? Really? Scientists say that more than 80% of our ocean is unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. So, if we, a finite species, cannot understand the majority of the ocean, how then can we understand the depth of an infinite being like the creator of all the water on Earth and across all the planets in the universe? How about trying to use the metaphor of a container like a cup? Well, there is a psalm that talks to that, a very popular psalm. In Psalm 23, we read, The Lord is my shepherd. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Did you hear it? My cup overflows. No matter how large a cup or container we try to use to measure God's love, it will run over. How about width? Most might immediately think of using some sort of measuring tape. Again, there's a psalm that is applicable. In Psalm 108, we read, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Did you hear it this time? For your steadfast love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. So I'm not sure how a tape measure would be sufficient if it's something higher than the heavens. Okay, but what if we use time? There are many theories about how ancient cultures use time and space to communicate in their hieroglyphics and in their architecture. So let's consider that. So if we use time to measure God's love, hmm, even if we could come up with some kind of a super watch to calculate the length of the love of God, I still am forced back to the Bible to get my head around it. And again, I have another psalm. Psalm 103, 17 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Did you catch that one? It's pretty hard to measure one everlasting on a watch, let alone two everlastings. And finally, what about using a compass? This devotional is full of psalms, and in regards to the possibility of using a compass, we read in Psalms 103.12, That as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Wow, what? (laughs) Let's ponder this for a minute. How far do I need to go west to arrive at east? Or how far east do I need to travel to arrive at west? Are you seeing it yet? The answer is never and forever. If you head west to get to east on this globe we call earth, we will never arrive at east no matter if we spend eternity trying. This leaves us with the challenge to calculate the height of God's love, as if we start to measure up past the atmosphere towards and across the expanse of space. The problem is the universe is continually expanding, and at our speed of current technology, we would never catch up to the expanse, meaning no matter what, we will always be chasing behind the expanse. Never catching up to it, let alone being able to correlate data to the measure of God's love. So if we can't measure God's love with things like measuring cups, measuring tape, time, or space, then how can we measure it? I don't know about you, but this humbles me into the paradox of surrender, meaning I give up thinking I can, admitting that I don't have the ability to understand the Creator or His process of creation. It reminds me about when God finally addresses Job's questions and concerns in Job 38, 1-18, when God finally responds to Job's pontifications by asking, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? 
Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or where were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arms is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this. I declare I know nothing. (laughs) So if we meditate through the apathetic method, which helps us get to that point of, I don't know, or simply contemplate about it, we come to the conclusion that we humans do not have the capability to understand the true nature or length and breadth and width of God, let alone his love. I mean, how do we really fully understand his omnipresence, his omniscience, and his omnipotence? It means he's all-powerful, he's everywhere at once, and he knows everything. Not to mention his goodness, graciousness, holiness, eminence, immutability, mystery, oneness, righteousness, sovereignty, transcendence, as well as his love across infinite and eternal nature. And regarding today's devotional, God's love, his deep and unconditional love, to lead you to an understanding of this, we could ponder the mystery of the Trinity. The Bible infers God as a and the God is one-third and is transcendent. He needs nothing to be fulfilled. Now, if God is love and love is selfless, and if God is selfless and yet God needs no one but himself, how then can he be loving and transcendent all at once? That is the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity. As St. Bonaventure put it, within the Trinity there is one God, a plurality of persons, and from all eternity and for all eternity, God was loving someone other than himself within himself. Wow. If God is love, did he have to create to love, or did he choose to, as God has someone to love other than himself inside himself. Selah. Do you really understand this? I, I don't. Other than to admit, it is a mystery. All I kind of know is that God is love, and this God is big, and thus, love is big. St. Bonaventure also said, God is the sphere, the center of which is everywhere, and the circumference nowhere. Wow. It will jolt us into a paradox, which is what? A paradox is an apparent contradiction that speaks to a deeper truth, which takes us to deeper truths. So let's try. If God is omnipresent, then love is all around us all the time. How can I understand that? Well, full understanding is not what is consequential. We simply need to be aware of it and look for it and apply it. And then humbly receive and then pass on this love. The essence of God is a mystery, a mystery that leads to acceptance instead of intellectual surety. 
an acceptance of what Erwin Lutzer said in the essay he submitted for my book when he said, not trying to fully understand an accurate definition of God or the measure of God's love, but an acceptance that the cross opens a window into the heart of God and for him to focus on us. One huge differentiator of the Jewish and Christian perspectives is that God is coming to and for us. Most religions teach one how to attain enlightenment with and in God by certain steps or actions on a journey to God for him to accept a particular seeker. In the Judeo-Christian perspective, it teaches that we were separated from friendship with God that Adam and Eve allowed at Eden with that bite of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, and yet God longed to restore a right-standing relationship by closing the huge gap between us. God's heart longed for this so much that he provided a way to bridge that gap through the sacrifice of his only son on the cross. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. How does one measure this kind of love? I don't know, but I'm okay with saying I don't know. But let's look at how Henry Blackaby internalized and described the measure of God in his love in this essay. Because Henry starts off where I just left off. He admits that no words or phrases can adequately describe or express what the cross means to him. He states that the verse that affected him the most is 1 Corinthians, in which it states, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greek, the Christ has the power of God and the wisdom of God. Abbreviated, Henry interprets it as Christ crucified, the power of God, the wisdom of God. The meaning of that phrase and the contemplation of the deepest and fullest meaning of the cross, I resonate with. I resonate with this hunger as it was not just photography that kept calling me back to the cross. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray in their prayer room, which kind of sounded like a prayer closet to me. However, that phase of my life, this ridge summit with its ever-expansive sky and a real cross before me to consider, was where I yearned to be. It was my secret place, my hiding place, and I understand that hunger. And overall, Henry leaves the answer of what the cross means and the measure of God's love away from his personal insights the inspiration of God's word found in the Bible. In Luke 6:38 we read, "Give and it will be given to you; a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and it will be poured into your lap." Similarly, we see in Matthew 7:2, "For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged; and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you." In Romans 12:16, Paul says, Do not be wise in your own estimation, but be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, be careful of how you measure yourself against God and against others, as well as how you measure the value of those people in your circle of influence. I see a few verses that pique my interest on this topic. In Luke 14, 28, we see a new concept to keep in mind as we dig into Henry's essay. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down at first and measure the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Now, Jesus was referring to a spiritual um, endeavors, but from a material point of view, what about those people that build? What, when they, what happens when they achieve their tower and their 
barns and all of their business success, what then? What happens when they're given the choice to give up something for the gospel? What are we willing to give up to achieve, accumulate, and advance in our lives towards something of significance, something of eternal value, something beneficial to the kingdom of heaven? King Solomon was contemplating this, as we read in Ecclesiastes 2.11, Yet when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And Paul correlates this in his conclusion found in Philippians 3.7, when he said, But whatever gain I had, I measure it all as worthless because of what Christ has done. The example I feel Henry is leading us toward is found in Romans 8.32, where Paul writes, If God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, and gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And this verse seems to infer that a major part of God's plan to give us all was through the gift of his son, his son who had to, that he had to abandon on and through the cross. For Henry, my hunch is that this thirst for the deep meaning of the cross might have been what led him to go into the seminary. And at the seminary, he wrote a research paper that changed his school life and shaped his entire future. It was during this process of deeply studying the cross that he realized that it is the cross itself that reveals the measure of God's love and how it overshadows all the varying and central concepts of humankind. The cross reveals the measure of God's love for man, translating the great plan of salvation. It highlights the seriousness of sin, and yet the cross's complete victory of power over sin. And most important, the ability for us to live in the fullness of new life for Henry and for all of mankind, all of which is attributed to the cross of Christ and his resurrection. It completely affected every aspect of his marriage and family. It shaped his entire ministry and permeated all of his relationships and ultimately his interaction with the aspects of the world he lives in and through. And here's the kicker. The cross revealed to him... The measure of God's love. Jesus's love became the measure of Henry's love, meaning across his entire life, the measure of God's love became the constant measure of Henry's love to all others. How I interpret this perspective is that all our feeble, frail, and finite mind can assess is that God has given us his everything, his all, and that the cross is the measure of how we, if we choose, to give our all to those that God places across our path every moment of every day. I met one just last night. I had stopped planting pepper starters in my garden and went around to the front of the house to check how the sunset was shaping up. And as I started shooting sunset, an older man, later I found out he was a 70-year-old man named Gary, walked up and started uh, with his body language indicating he wanted to say hi. I could have ignored him, but I dove right in. And I quickly learned a lot about him. He had just had his COVID shot a few weeks before, and it was the first time in a long time he felt at peace taking a long walk. I also learned he lost his wife last October, and so maybe nine months ago, and his son several years ago. He has a daughter out of state, but they hardly ever visit, and all his friends have also passed on. 
I realized and quickly felt how alone he was. I stayed with him and talked with him over an hour. I did not say anything profound or too preachy. I just listened and talked to him about his life and life in general. My intention was just to be his friend. And I have to confess, I work so much that I haven't, I haven't been socializing. And it felt really good to just talk with someone. As it says in Proverbs, to have a friend, you must be a friend. And I gave him my contact info, and I stressed how he can call me anytime if he'd like to talk. That's what I'm talking about, being there for others. It reminds me of the admonishment found in Mark 4.24 when Jesus said, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So if God gave his love and forgiveness to us, then why would we not to give our love and forgiveness to those who God has placed in our lives? I am not sure that this is a love that we have the capacity to measure, but we can experience it. We can feel that love every day if we're aware of it and we tap into it. And when we feel God's love for us, we can share it with others and it will never run out. It will overflow if we allow it to. We will be so full of love that it overflows from us to others. It reaches far beyond us. It has always been with us and will always be with us if we choose to. Allow me to wrap up this devotional by quoting Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness, with all the fullness of God. And when you accept and live this first, then the true measurement is how you fill others with the fullness of God. Yes, you can walk, live, and move in the truth of this gospel. Just believe it and apply it today. If you are having a hard time with these concepts, allow me to encourage you to pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you around these perspectives today. And read. Read the Bible more, and not just like a manuscript, but take the time. Make the time to meditate and contemplate on the light of these eternal and liberating truths today. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate what he did for you, both on Good Friday and on Easter, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and heal the painful parts of your body, soul, and mind. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me devotional program heard every week here on KKXX Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this week's image, the majesty, along with other verspirations, then check out Magi Cross on Instagram. And if your church, youth group, or school would like to learn how to fundraise for the Magi Cross products, hear other cross podcasts, or read further meditative musings on the cross through my blog, then log on to magicross.com. That is M-A-J-I-C-R-O-S-S.com.